the unknown. Mystery. Space. Have fun. Adventure. Suspense. Fantasy. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror. Welcome to journey number 193 of the Journey Into podcast, featuring Morella by Edgar Allan Poe, as narrated by Dave Robison. I am your guide on this journey, Marshall Latham, coming to you from base camp in the Treasure Valley. That's right, it's Edgar Allan Poe month once again. If you are a member of the Patreon, you have already heard Rish Outfield and I discuss the Roger Corman movie, The Premature Burial, and you've already listened to me narrate the story of The Premature Burial by Edgar Allan Poe. If you're listening on the main feed, this is your first exposure to Edgar Allan Poe this month of January And it's uh, the very end of the month, and I'm sorry for that. I meant to to get these things out earlier in the month for you, but this is where we have ended up. (laughs) But yes, I do love to pay homage to old good old Uncle Edgar every year on the month of his birthday. He was born on January 19th, 1809, and he died 40 years later. Unfortunately, he was not appreciated enough before he died, and most of his fame and popularity came after his death. And he's probably one of the most famous uh, American writers that uh, we have. Of course, there's many others, but uh, if you say Edgar Allan Poe, everybody has a picture in their head, typically, of probably the Raven or Telltale Heart, uh, but they but they understand that he was a horror writer. Uh, he's not given credit for some of the other writings that he's done. I've I've tried to elicit some of that uh, throughout these years of doing the Edgar Allan Poe Month. Uh, the tale that I have selected this year, uh, narrated for us so deftly by Dave Robison, is Morella. <laughs> And this mostly comes from a movie that I watched last year, which was titled Tales of Terror. And it has three adaptations of Poe Tales. Uh, Morella was the first one, and then there was the Telltale Heart. And then there is the Black Cat, with a little bit of the Cask of Amontillado thrown in there, (laughs) that one. Uh, And then the last one was the facts in the case of M. Valdemar. And that's a story that I haven't shared here on the podcast either. Uh, So maybe that should come due. But anyway, I watched this movie along with Rich Outfield so that we would have a movie to talk about last January. 
2023. Uh, but I was never able to finish the movie. And Rish and I never got together to discuss it, even though he had watched the movie. And um, unfortunately, that one just kind of fell through the cracks. Maybe we'll try again someday, but I don't know. We'll see. It stars uh, Vincent Price. It also has Peter Lorre and uh, Basil Rathbone uh, playing different roles in that. It's a kind of an anthology movie, like I said. Anyway, the first tale of that was Morella, and I have, and I was only vaguely familiar with Morella. I kind of knew the basics of what the story was about, and I recognized the name uh, as one of the Poe women. You know, you have Annabelle Lee, you have Lenore, you have uh, Lygia, and uh, I had heard Morella also. Um, and then there's others as well, of course. But anyway, I was intrigued by the tale, and I was one, and I wondered how faithful that the adaptation in the movie was to the story. And so I read the story, and there are definitely differences in those, but I'm not I'm not going to get into that right now. Uh, but anyway, that that's kind of why I chose this story this year, <laughs> the the long roundabout answer to that. Um, before we start the tale, as always, the barrier for listening to Poe or reading Poe is the archaic way that he writes. I mean, it was it was the way to write at the time, but his vocabulary was was vast, and a lot of the vocabulary that he used we don't understand today. And the thing that a lot of people don't understand about Poe also is that he was a very intelligent. Man, he was very well read. He read all kinds of things, from news stories to uh, old literature to philosophy and uh, just lots and lots of things. He was very, like I said, he was very well read in many areas of concern, as I guess most writers should be. I should be a lot more well read than I am. But anyway, I, I think a lot of people overlook that. You know, that when they think of Poe, they think of Oh, the the word that typically comes to mind is macabre. You know, he was these told these terrible tales of death and murder and strange happenings. You know, and then it just kind of stops there. But as you listen to the story, pay attention to some of the names that he puts out there. He uh, refers to some German philosophers that Morella is particularly fond of and well acquainted with educated in and she she makes some re- he makes some references particularly i believe to the german philosophers johann gottlieb fichte i think is how you pronounce that and then uh friedrich wilhelm joseph von schilling also is mentioned in there i mean he just mentions their last names but i wanted to kind of give this to you as an intro going into the story so you might kind of draw from this knowledge to help you follow the story a little bit. You know, I don't know at the time if people would have gotten those references right away and understood exactly what Poe was referencing, but they were German philosophers and they believed in pantheism, uh, which is basically believing that God and the universe with all of its parts are, are one and the same. 
that there isn't an, an individual God, but God and the God is the universe. The universe is God kind of thing. And I'm going to read from a, a website here, comingsstudyguides.net, talking about this story. And he says, the reference in the fourth paragraph of the story, Ficht proposes that all things are part of a single universal ego. Uh, Morella also introduces the narrator to the beliefs of Pythagoras. You all know Pythagoras. I know you did. You took algebra, didn't you? Geometry in high school or in your schooling as a youth? (laughs) Uh, You're all familiar, aren't you, with the Pythagorean theorem? C squared equals A squared plus B squared. You know, if if you want to find the hypotenuse of a right triangle, right? That formula, you remember that being hammered into your head? (laughs) Well, Pythagoras was not only a mathematician, but he was a philosopher as well. And according to Pythagoras, the soul lives on after the body dies, sojourning for a while in the abode of the dead, then returning to the world to inhabit another being. I think I'll probably just leave it there for now and uh, let you hear this tale. So come with me and let's journey into love and death. Morella by Edgar Allan Poe Read by Dave Robison Itself by itself, solely one everlasting and single. Plato, Sympos With a feeling of deep yet most singular affection, I regarded my friend Morella. Thrown by accident into her society many years ago, my soul from our first meeting burned with fires it had never before known, but the fires were not of Eros, and bitter and tormenting to my spirit was the gradual conviction that I could in no manner define their unusual meaning or regulate their vague intensity. Yet we met, and fate bound us together at the altar, and I never spoke of passion nor thought of love. She, however, shunned society, and attaching herself to me alone, rendered me happy. It is a happiness to wonder. It is a happiness to dream. Morella's erudition was profound. As I hope to live, her talents were of no common order. Her powers of mind were gigantic. I felt this, and in many matters became her pupil. I soon, however, found that, perhaps on account of her Pressburg education, she placed before me a number of those mystical writings which are usually considered the mere dross of the early German literature. These— for what reason I could not imagine, were her favorite and constant study, and that, in process of time, they became my own, should be attributed to the simple but effectual influence of habit and example. In all this, if I err not, my reason had little to do. My convictions, or I forget myself, were in no manner acted upon by the ideal nor was any tincture of the mysticism which I read to be discovered, unless I am greatly mistaken, either in my deeds or in my thoughts. 
Persuaded of this, I abandoned myself implicitly to the guidance of my wife, and entered with an unflinching heart into the intricacies of her studies. And then, then when poring over forbidden pages, I felt a forbidden spirit enkindling within me, would Morella place her cold hand upon my own, and rake up from the ashes of a dead philosophy some low, singular words whose strange meaning burned themselves in upon my memory. And then, hour after hour, would I linger by her side and dwell upon the music of her voice, until, at length, its melody was tainted with terror, and there fell a shadow upon my soul, and I grew pale and shuddered inwardly at those two unearthly tones, and thus joy suddenly faded into horror, and the most beautiful became the most hideous, as Hinnon became Gehenna. It is unnecessary to state the exact character of those disquisitions which, growing out of the volumes I have mentioned, formed for so long a time almost the sole conversation of Morella and myself. By the learned, in what might be termed theological morality, they will be readily conceived, and by the unlearned they would, at all events, be little understood. The wild pantheism of Fichte, the modified palagenetia of the Pythagoreans, and, above all, the doctrines of identity, as urged by Schelling, were generally the points of discussion presenting the most of beauty to the imaginative Morella. That identity which is termed personal, Mr. Locke, I think, truly defines to consist in the sameness of rational being. And since by person we understand an intelligent essence having reason, and since there is a consciousness which always accompanies thinking, it is this which makes us all to be that which we call ourselves, thereby distinguishing us from other beings that think, and giving us our personal identity. But the principium individuationis, the notion of that identity which at death is or is not lost forever, was, to me, at all times, a consideration of intense interest, not more from the perplexing and exciting nature of its consequences than from the marked and agitated manner in which Morella mentioned them. But, indeed, the time had now arrived when the mystery of my wife's manner oppressed me as a spell. I could no longer bear the touch of her wan fingers, nor the low tone of her musical language, nor the luster of her melancholy eyes. And she knew all this, but did not upbraid. She seemed conscious of my weakness or my folly, and, smiling, called it fate. She seemed also conscious of a cause, to me unknown, for the gradual alienation of my regard, but she gave me no hint or token of its nature. Yet was she woman, and pined away daily. In time the crimson spot settled steadily upon the cheek, and the blue veins upon the pale forehead became prominent, and one instant my nature melted into pity, but in the next I met the glance of her meaning eyes, 
and then my soul sickened and became giddy with the giddiness of one who gazes downward into some dreary and unfathomable abyss. Shall I then say that I longed with an earnest and consuming desire for the moment of Morella's decease? I did. But the fragile spirit clung to its tenement of clay for many days, for many weeks and irksome months, until my tortured nerves obtained the mastery over my mind, and I grew furious through delay, and with the heart of a fiend cursed the days and the hours and the bitter moments, which seemed to lengthen and lengthen as her gentle life declined, like shadows in the dying of the day. But— one autumnal evening, when the winds lay still in heaven, Morella called me to her bedside. There was a dim mist over all the earth, and a warm glow upon the waters, and amid the rich October leaves of the forest a rainbow from the firmament had surely fallen. "'It is the day of days,' she said as I approached, "'a day of all days either to live or die. It is a fair day for the sons of earth and life, ah, more fair for the daughters of heaven and death. I kissed her forehead, and she continued, I am dying, yet shall I live. Morella, the days have never been when thou couldst love me, but her whom in life thou didst abhor, in death thou shalt adore. Morella, I repeat, I am dying, but within me is a pledge of that affection, oh, how little, which thou didst feel for me, Morella. And when my spirit departs, shall the child live, thy child and mine, Morella's. But thy days shall be days of sorrow." that sorrow which is the most lasting of impressions, as the cypress is the most enduring of trees. For the hours of thy happiness are over, and joy is not gathered twice in a life, as the roses of pestum twice in a year. Thou shalt no longer then play the tian with time, but being ignorant of the myrtle and the vine, thou shalt bear about with thee thy shroud on the earth as do the Moslemin at Mecca. Morella, I cried, Morella, how knowest thou this? But she turned away her face upon the pillow, and a slight tremor coming over her limbs, she thus died, and I heard her voice no more. Yet, as she foretold, her child, to which in dying she had given birth, which breathed not, until the mother breathed no more, her child, a daughter, lived. And she grew strangely in stature and intellect, and was the perfect resemblance of her who had departed. And I loved her with a love more fervent than I had believed it possible to feel for any denizen of earth. But ere long the heaven of this pure affection became darkened, and gloom and horror and grief swept over it in clouds. I said the child grew strangely in stature and intelligence. Strange indeed was her rapid increase in bodily size, but terrible, oh, 
Terrible were the tumultuous thoughts which crowded upon me while watching the development of her mental being. Could it be otherwise when I daily discovered in the conceptions of the child the adult powers and faculties of the woman, when the lessons of experience fell from the lips of infancy, and when the wisdom or the passions of maturity I found hourly gleaming from its full and speculative eye? When, I say, all this became evident to my appalled senses, when I could no longer hide it from my soul, nor throw it off from those perceptions which trembled to receive it, is it to be wondered at that suspicions of a nature fearful and exciting crept in upon my spirit, or that my thoughts fell back aghast against the wild tales and thrilling theories of the entombed Morella? I snatched from the scrutiny of the world a being whom destiny compelled me to adore, and in the rigorous seclusion of my home watched with an agonizing anxiety over all which concerned the beloved. And as years rolled away, and I gazed day after day upon her holy and mild and eloquent face, and pored over her maturing form— Day after day did I discover new points of resemblance in the child to her mother, the melancholy, and the dead. And hourly grew darker these shadows of similitude, and more full and more definite and more perplexing and more hideously terrible in their aspect. For that her smile was like her mother's I could bear, but then I shuddered at its too perfect identity that her eyes were like Morella's I could endure, but then they too often looked down into the depths of my soul with Morella's own intense and bewildering meaning. And in the contour of the high forehead, and in the ringlets of the silken hair, and in the wan fingers which buried themselves therein, and in the sad musical tones of her speech, and above all, oh, above all in the phrases and expressions of the dead, on the lips of the loved and the living, I found food for consuming thought and horror for a worm that would not die. <sighs> Thus passed away two lustra of her life, and yet my daughter remained nameless upon the earth. My child and my love were the designations usually prompted by a father's affection, and the rigid seclusion of her days precluded all other intercourse. Morella's name died with her at her death. Of the mother I had never spoken to the daughter. It was impossible to speak. Indeed, during the brief period of her existence, the latter had received no impressions from the outward world— save such as might have been afforded by the narrow limits of her privacy. But at length the ceremony of baptism presented to my mind, in its unnerved and agitated condition, a present deliverance from the terrors of my destiny. And at the baptismal font I hesitated for a name and many titles of the wise and beautiful, of old and modern times, of my own and foreign lands, came thronging to my lips with many, many fair titles of the gentle and the happy and the good. What prompted me then 
to disturb the memory of the buried dead? What demon urged me to breathe that sound, which in its very recollection was wont to make ebb the purple blood in torrents from the temples to the heart? What fiend spoke from the recesses of my soul when amid those dim aisles and in the silence of the night I whispered within the ears of the holy man the syllables, Morella? What more than fiend convulsed the features of my child and overspread them with hues of death as, starting at that scarcely audible sound, she turned her glassy eyes from the earth to heaven and, falling prostrate on the black slabs of our ancestral vault, responded, I am here. Distinct, coldly, calmly distinct, fell those few simple sounds within my ear, and thence like molten lead rolled hissingly into my brain. Years, years may pass away, but the memory of that epoch never. Nor was I indeed ignorant of the flowers and the vine, but the hemlock and the cypress overshadowed me night and day. And I kept no reckoning of time or place, and the stars of my fate faded from heaven, and therefore the earth grew dark, and its figures passed by me like flitting shadows, and among them all I beheld only Morella. The winds of the firmament breathed but one sound within my ears, and the ripples upon the sea murmured evermore, Morella. But she died and with my own hands I bore her to the tomb. And I laughed, with a long and bitter laugh, as I found no traces of the first in the channel where I laid the second, Morella. So there you go. There is Morella by Edgar Allan Poe. Narrated by Dave Robison. Once again, I'd like to thank Dave for reading this for me. It's always nice to, uh, he always does a fantastic job, and uh, it's nice to just kind of sit back and listen uh, to his reading of it rather than me trying to do it. <laughs> uh, I do like to narrate things, and I think I do an okay job at it. But, but when I hear these poll readings from Dave, and when I hear things uh, narrated by Rich Outfield, uh, I just know that uh, they take it to another level. So, <laughs> uh, thank you once again. Uh, there's a lot to unpack here. I, and it's a fairly short story here, right? By, by Poe. Especially when you compare this with Lygia, which is very similar in nature in that his previous wife had died, and then when he came back to the same house with his new wife, Lygia ended up taking over the body of, of, the, of the new wife and coming back from the dead. Uh, we see that here again, only Morella returns in the form of her daughter. And, it, you know, and, and I guess going back to what I was talking about it before, we listen to the story. 
you know, this idea of what happens to the soul after death. And I think, you know, many beliefs and philosophies, you know, go with the notion that, hey, the spirit leaves the body at the time of death. But what happens to the soul at that point is up for debate as far as, you know, do you go with a religious view of the afterlife where there's a heaven and a hell or a judgment, you know, those those types of ideas. Or does it come back? Going back to Pythagoras here, again, he says that souls never die, but always on quitting one abode, pass to another. And then he even talked about how he remembers basically a past life of his own during the Trojan War when he went by a different name. You know, basically the idea of reincarnation, right? That that we have had many past lives and we'll go on having more lives. I believe that's that's a Buddhist philosophy as well, right? And then the quality of our next life depends on how well we lived our lives here in this one. Um, that kind of that kind of idea. And he went on to say, the soul passes hither and thither, occupying now this body, now that, passing from the body of a beast into that of a man, and thence to a beast's again. As wax is stamped with different figures, then melted, then stamped, anew with others, yet is always the same wax. So the soul, being always the same, yet wears at different times different forms. Yeah, so pretty interesting ideas here, and I think Poe is definitely playing into that, right, with this story of Morella. And another parallel here that I see with another Poe story is, you know, when it comes time for the daughter's baptism, he has not given her a name yet, but he's seen all these resemblances of his previous wife, the priests or whatever. And, and the priest or whatever asks what name she is to be given at baptism. And it's it was also interesting to me that the baptism occurred when she was 10 years old. It says that she had lived for two lustra. And I had to look that up. And a lustra is a period of five years. And so... Anyway, when she was being baptized, he could not stop himself from giving her the name of Morella, which was the name of her mother. And that seemed to be the seal, right, for the spell. The spirit of Morella, the dead wife, entered the body of Morella, now Morella, the daughter. And, and I'm still a little bit confused as to whether... Morella, the wife, entered Morella, the daughter, at the time of the baptism? Or did it happen at, at her birth? Because it explains how the baby didn't breathe until the last breath, after the last breath of the mother. And so, did Morella use her knowledge and whatever of the pantheistic world to pass her soul into the baby at the time she was born. And that's why all those similarities came up. That's probably the more correct reading of this, I guess, now that I think about it. But reading through it and listening to it, I I put a lot of significance on him giving her that name at the time of the baptism. But maybe him giving her the name was his final acceptance that the daughter truly was Morella. But he loved the daughter, right? He said he couldn't feel more love. Um, for for another human being than he did 
for his daughter, but then she died as well. So that's kind of like Morella getting her revenge. And that's probably why Morella, you know, when she, I was talking about this curse that she kind of tells the narrator before she dies, this is what's going to happen to you. And he's like, how could you know this? It's because she's willing it to happen kind of thing. You know, or maybe, maybe he sought the baptism as a, as a way to purge Morella from the child that uh, he kind of looked upon Morella as something that was evil that could be cast out through the baptism. But if that's the case, then why does he give her the name Morella? Uh, and that that's, <laughs> I started to talk about a, another parallel with another post story and I've presented it here on the podcast before it is uh, the imp of the perverse where after killing somebody, this guy's either his guilt or his ill nature or whatever forces him, can't help himself from spilling the beans on what he did, that he'd killed this person or whatever, or admitted it. And so maybe that was the case here in this story, that he knew that the child was Morella and he couldn't help himself but to name her Morella. And then, and then the big mystery, right, of this story is what happened to Morella, the wife's body, in the tomb when he went to lay Morella, the daughter, in the tomb. The first body was missing. We don't know <laughs> what happened there. Well, that, that's, the big, that's the big mystery here in this story, at least for me. Maybe you have an answer. If you do, let me know. Yeah, so I don't know, I, I kind of dug this story. It is one of those that you have to think about. It, it's not one of those that just automatically grabs your attention and your your visceral curiosity like the Telltale Heart or the, the Cask of Amontillado or something like that. Um, but it is compelling, I think. And, uh, you know, you just have to ask yourself, how do you solve a problem like Morella? <laughs> I had that coming to my head several times as I was listening to this story. Uh, I thought about trying to work up a whole lyric rewrite of <laughs> how do you solve a problem like Maria from The Sound of Music and uh, put Morella in there. But uh, I didn't have time. Morella makes me laugh. Oh uh, yeah, I, I'll have to I'll have to work on that maybe for uh, next year's Edgar Allan Poe month. But by then you you probably wouldn't won't remember the details of this story. So anyway, I, I hope you enjoyed this, and I encourage you to keep honoring Edgar Allan Poe and reading more of his works, even though it's an effort sometimes to get to the heart of it. I really like his writings, and I'll continue to share them here on the podcast. But uh, yeah, coming up, I, I need to bring you the. The other two winners of the Quartal Quill writing contest here. And uh, get that done here at the beginning of the year. Since I didn't finish it up last year. Uh, if you'd like to contact me, you can send me an email at journeyintopodcast at gmail.com. I was going to promote the voicemail line, but uh, Rish Outfield told me that it, it wasn't working for him yesterday. So I'm going to have to look into that and figure out uh, if it's still up or what I need to do to get it back. But yes, email is a great way to get a hold of me. 
You can also find me on Facebook and the app formerly known as Twitter. And I'm also on Instagram, journey.into.podcast and the threads as well. Uh, so until next time, stay safe out there and journey on. The Journey Into podcast is produced under Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means that you are encouraged to share this podcast with as many people as you would like. Uh, but please don't change it or sell it and let people know where you got it from. And it doesn't tell us how long after that point that the daughter died and that when he went to lay her in the tomb that the body of his dead wife, Morella, was gone. Uh, some neat ideas. You know, there there is a horrific aspect to this. And I thought it was interesting how he married Morella because he was fascinated with her. And all of her knowledge, you know, almost a, a logical affection to her rather than a romantic one. You know, he says that he never felt love for her, basically. And I think that Morella ended up resenting that. And after the the magic was gone from his fascination with her, he started to not like to be in her presence, right? He didn't want to be around her. And he was almost happy that uh, she was going to die. And all the women, man, in these Poe stories, uh, they don't last very long. And I, you know, I, I know that that had some to do with his wife, that she died when she was very young. And uh, I think that haunted him. And comes out in, in a lot of his stories here. <laughs>